Hi, welcome to Calvary HSM. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. We hope you enjoy this podcast. All right, all right. Well, please have a seat wherever you can find one. I would encourage you to uh, move up to the front if there's an empty seat in front of you. If you're meeting for the first time, my name is Aaron Kajun. I serve as a high school pastor. And today we're going to be talking about, hello, uh, we're going to be talking about what it means to uh, walk in the light, what it means to walk as believers. And the title of this message is going to be, is going to be Check Yourself Before You Wreck Yourself, all right? Check Yourself Before You Wreck Yourself. We're going to be in the book of Romans. So if you have a Bible, flip over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2, verses 19. So Romans chapter 2, verses 19. So we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to uh, take one from us, a gift from us to you. Uh, we believe that God's people delight in God's word, and so we want you guys to have a Bible. And so at the back of our room, where that TV is, that has like rolling announcements right next to it, is a little uh, shelf. You can grab a Bible, take it home, our gift from us to you. Now, uh, as we jump into Romans chapter 2, we're seeing a guy, a guy called Paul, and uh, it was asked of me at our last Q&A to describe uh, who Paul was, and I said, that Paul was a gangster. And I really believe this, that Paul was a guy who lived his life trying to kill Christians. Like that was his claim to fame, that he was against believers, a zealot, right? He knew all the Bible, he knew all these things. And for some of you in this room, you might be like, it's just church. I grew up in church. I know all this stuff about Jesus. And then sometimes you might end up like Paul, where Paul had now a very overzealous, in fact, a judgmental view of uh, other, other people, but not just people, but Christians in particular. And so he lived his life, again, chasing them, going from town to town. The Bible says that he was breathing insults, meaning it was like breathing to him. His hate for believers was like normal breathing to him. And so he goes and on this way to one of these places to go uh, seek out Christians, Jesus knocked him off his horse and used him and changed his heart and now he lived the rest of his life uh, really sharing the gospel. And most of our New Testament is written by this guy, Paul. Now, when I say gangster, you say, how gangster is he? You say, gangster. Thank you. How gangster is he? He was so gangster that he at one time was beaten. And, and some people would say he died. Some people don't say he didn't die. But he was so convinced that his disciples came, laid hands on him, and he got back up, talked about this last week, and went back into the same city to go preach the gospel. It's like if someone beats you up and leaves you, and they even think you're dead, would you have the confidence to get back up to go back into that same city? I don't know. But Paul was that guy. He was that guy, super maker of disciples, right? So this is what we're talking about, Paul. In Romans chapter 2, he's writing to the church in Rome, to these people who have experienced the gospel, have heard it. There's kind of like people like us where you might have heard the gospel so often that you become hardened to what it means to live and love like Jesus. And so if that's you, that's who the message is for. And if you're hearing this for the first time about this gospel, you'll be able to see what it means truly to be a believer. And what he's talking about actually is about people who are living a life of righteousness or unrighteousness. People who are living a life of unrighteousness and unrighteousness. And it, for our definition to know what, it, what it's about, righteousness is this, measuring up to God's standard. That's what it means to be righteous, to be a person who walks and lives how Jesus, how God would want us 
to live. And I believe that our life as believers is supposed to be one of righteousness, living up to God's standards. See, the book of Romans in chapter 1 talks about how all of us hear these things about God, and then we suppress the truth in unrighteousness, meaning we want to do what we want to do, and so we say, God, forget you, I'm doing my thing my way. So the, the, the real issue for man is sin, and yes, pride, but it's the truth that we don't want to live the way God wants us to live, and so we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And I believe that God wants us to live in these three motions, to live in righteousness, but upward with him, inward inside of us and how we live in our spirit, in our soul, to have peace in ourselves, and also outward towards other people. Again, upward, inward, where you have peace, up with God, inward, you have peace with God inside, and how you live and love uh, in, inside your in, internal turmoil, then outward with people around you. And so I'll say this, that our relationship with God, really, if it's talking about how our relationship upward first, our relationship with God then determines our relationship with ourselves. It defines who we are. How we live with God, how we delight in God, and how we know God determines our identity. And the second thing with that is this, then our identity, therefore, then determines how we interact with the world. Outward. How we know who we are about ourselves with God now shapes how we are with people around us right? It gives you a, a definition of how to live amongst the people who are around you. And so what Paul is saying in Matthew, sorry, in Matthew 22, we see Matthew write this to uh, talking about, as he records the gospel of Matthew, he says to Jesus, talking to someone else, he said, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying that there are two commandments that flow from our love of God that changes how we think internally and then flows out to other people to love God first and to love people. Love God and then to love people. Those are the two commandments. And to quote one of like, you know, the poets of our day, we have to think about this, about how we live and how we love people because sometimes, because of our idea of how much we've got this information about how God is, about who he is, and for some of you, like I've said, you've heard this gospel thing before. You may be like, I know all these things about Jesus. I can quote all the scriptures about God. But are you going to then live that out practically? What does that mean then to know God? Do you then live and love like Jesus everywhere you go? For some of us, and for me, for example, my issue was I had all these experiences with church, all these winter camps, all these things, then I became so proud. I became proud. I thought people were less than. I didn't see them as people to be served and to be loved. No, I saw them as people who did not know God, and I began to be judgmental. And so this is what happens to these people in Romans. He writes to them and says, I want to be a people who are aware of you, who you are, and then actively don't be hypocritical, but live like believers. And so to quote uh, one of our poets of our day again, Ice Cube, he says, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Now, there is going to be a little, like, you know, thing up there. It says redo yourself, which is not, I can't imagine Ice Cube saying check yourself before you redo yourself. But anyway, he goes, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because what happens is once we live a life that is 
give in to our own desires, our own selfishness, and not looking outward to other people, we end up being separated from God, separated from our purpose, separated from what God wants of us. We begin to live a life of unrighteousness rather than one of righteousness. Our heart's desires change. And in Romans 2.17, he says to these people, he says in uh, Romans 2.17, starting at 17, if you guess your Bibles, he says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely only on the law and boast in God and know his will, and then you should know his will and prove what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. He goes, if you know these things about God, then you should live like it. If you truly say you are a Jew, and for them it was a big thing. It's like how people say, I'm a Christian. Great. But what does that look like in real life? You know, the world has an idea of what a Christian is supposed to be. And when we fall short of that, they'll be like, hey, I thought you were a Christian. Paul's asking them, if you know these things about who God is calling us to, to be patient, to be kind, to be generous, to be a people who live on mission, on purpose, then let's do exactly that. See, what happens is they became hypocritical. And this is what it means to be a hypocrite, where you have heart knowledge and it's not, uh, sorry, head knowledge and not heart knowledge, where it's in your head and you have the idea of who God is and you talk about who God is all the time and you're able to point out when people are doing something wrong, but in your own life, you yourself are not living it out. You have head knowledge and not heart knowledge. You are flirting with the idea of who God is what he's called us to do and live like as believers and yet not actually committing to it. None of us like the flirt in life, if you're being honest. You don't like the person who is uncommitted and says all these different things but doesn't really commit to what they're supposed to. Or we can talk about the absentee father who says, I'll be there and is not there. We hate that kind of a thing. Or the homie who says, hey, 5 p.m. and then comes at 545 and you're like, oh my gosh, you're always so late. We don't like that. We want to have a consistency. We want people who are not hypocritical that we can trust and hold to the word. And in Romans 2.19, he has this statement to them. In Romans 2.19, he says this, And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? He goes, all these things that you know, and then you go around saying you're a teacher, that you're a good person, that you're holy, and you're better than all these people. He goes, look inside. Like we said, our relationship moves in these moments with God, one with God up and down, us with him, and then also internal. He goes, teach yourself, speak to yourself. That's why sometimes it's difficult when you're being disciplined by a parent or disciplined by someone or they're saying something, and you're like, wait, wait. You're asking me not to lie, but I watch you lie about my, I mean, you guys ever had this situation, lie about your age going to get movies when movies were a thing, when people would walk into the movie theater, and they ask, how old are you? You're like, say you're 13. You're like, dude, I'm not 13. Like, I'm much older than that. Like, you're like, how do you want me to live that life of honesty and purity when you yourself are not living that out? We don't respect, we don't respond to hypocrisy. And what Paul is calling us to is to live in the light, to live up to a standard. See, believers are called to maturity, not called to, to be where we're, we were. God calls us to life. He calls us to maturity. And these people who 
began to speak and began to point fingers, began to be proudful. See, what happens is hypocrisy breeds pride. It breeds pride. And you're not able to love people the way that God has called us to. It says this in Isaiah 42, 6. He calls us to righteousness. Remember that word we talked about, righteousness, living in the light, living the way God wants us to? He says, for you to live in this light, for you to live in this way, you have to be humble. That means admitting when you make, you make mistakes. That means being willing to take some instruction. That means being willing to own up to when you've done something wrong. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nation. See, our purpose in living in the light is to be missionaries. Our purpose for, for uh, allowing the love of God to change us is to be able to be emissaries for him. And there's a word there that he talks about called covenant. Now, a covenant is this 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 relationship you have with someone where you are like locked and loaded. Now, back in Uganda where I grew up, the way people would do covenants or make agreements is where they would actually get a coffee bean, depending on what tribe you are in, whatever. And this particular tribe, you grab a coffee bean, they slice it in half, and then you would get uh, your hand, and then you'd cut it and put some of your blood on one coffee bean, and the other person would get some blood, put it on that coffee bean, and then you'd switch. And what do you think you guys do with that coffee bean? What do you think you do with that coffee bean? Do you make coffee? No. What? You eat it, right? You put it in your mouth and then you swallow it. Why? Because you're saying that I am, I belong to you, you belong to me. As long as we have exchanged this exchange of blood, we are committed to one another. And this is the thing that God is saying that you're not saying that you should go back out here, go to Whole Foods or wherever and cut, get some coffee beans and be doing some stuff at your house. I'm not saying that. But what God has said is that I'm in a deep covenant with you. That his blood has been given for you. In fact, Jesus' blood was given for you in covenant. That he has said, I am given to you. I give everything for you. His life was given for you. And what he's saying is that if you're committed to me, I'll continue to be committed to you. In fact, he says, when you are faithless, I myself remain faithful to who I am in your life. What happens is that when we don't stay committed to him, it hinders our purpose. Again, hypocrisy hinders our purpose. People can't trust you. People can't lean on you because you're not living the life that God has called us to. Hypocrisy then hinders our purpose. What happens, again, is this, that we have a profession of faith. We talk about Jesus without a substance, meaning an actual evidence of it. And it's pointless because it, harm, it can harm, harm you personally and harms everyone else. I mean, we've all heard these stories about how people ask about Christians and they ask the question like, what are, why, why do all Christians blank? Right? Why do all Christians do all this thing? And that's happened because we've made statements. We've done things that have stopped people from seeing the true Jesus. In fact, it was said of um, it was said of uh, in second, in second, second Samuel twelve fourteen, we see this uh, story, and this what happened with David is that David, David, basically like did a bunch of random things. He slept uh, with a man, 
uh, sorry, a man's wife. Well, that was going to go a little different, okay? He slept with a man's wife, had him killed, got her pregnant, right? And he, he's now a murderer, right? He is a liar, and he's covering up all these different things. And, and he, he's now made this woman his wife. And he thought, no one knew. All the while, God is seeing, God's, you know, knowing what's going on. And all the while, people look at David and say, David's awesome. David killed Goliath. David uh, speaks uh, for God. He's God's blessed anointed one. And he was. And I think there's an understanding where all of us as believers, sometimes we sin. Does that make sense? Like, even David, who was, like, beloved by God, the Bible says, like, had a heart after God, he also himself sinned. And I think it's okay for us to understand that, hey, there's a way for you to get back up when you fall down. For me, that gives me hope. When I read in the Bible and I see people like David, I'm like, God, like, geez, like that guy, he was a hypocrite. And then I'm like, I'm a hypocrite sometimes. But then I see how God allowed him to be restored. But what, what it says in 2 Samuel 12, 14, Samuel is, is a, a prophet who speaks on behalf of God and he confronts David. And it's interesting how sometimes God will bring people in our life, and not specifically prophets, but people who confront us on our own mess, like where we've done stuff, something wrong, like actually good friends, or maybe an actual good small group leader, or people who actually do care about your walk with Jesus, and they say, hey, can we talk about this real quick? And so God sends Samuel to him, and he says, how, how be it? How is it that you have allowed this one act, this thing you've done, to have the enemies of God look at you and blaspheme. So sometimes we give room for people. We give room for people to be able to, again, speak against God because our lives are not living openly. And they know the standard. What I'm saying is this. One, you can, you can come back from a fall. David did. See, David was called the man after God's own heart not because he used God's grace and just kept sinning. No, he repented. He turned from his sin. He said, you know, I'm, I, I used to do this. I did this one thing, and now I'm turning 180 degrees around and changing my life. Now, there are consequences because of our sin? Yes, definitely. See, what happens with David is that that baby actually dies. There are consequences for sin, real-life consequences for sin. But the fact that God spared his life and in grace allowed him to have many more children and in grace allowed him to remain king is like, wow, like God still has his hand of, of favor upon those who are repentant, who turn from their sin and trust him. Hypocrisy hurts our witness. In Romans 2.25, it says this, for circumcision is indeed of no val- of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised, well, it's a lot of circumcision, um, but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. So there's a lot of circumcision. What does this mean? Okay, so. You guys are wondering, what does, what does this actually mean? What happens is this. One of the signs that the Jews had of a promise of Abraham was to be circumcised. So every boy that was born 
and claimed to be a Jew and was walking in the Jewish way, even people who, uh, who are called proselytes, these are people who are like you and me who are not Jewish, of Jewish of, uh, descent, they would actually want to get circumcised so that they would fit within the promise of Abraham, right? The promise of Abraham uh, to inherit the land that God has given them, to have a land flowing of milk and honey, to enjoy all the blessings of Abraham. And you guys have heard that song, Father Abraham and many sons. Like, we are all part of that promise. But what they would say is this, that if you don't have the circumcision, because circumcision was the act, the act of giving yourself up to God, they would say that if you don't do this, then you're not part of what God wants us to do. For some of us today, we would say just coming to church is enough. Like just being here is enough. As if by, by osmosis, by being in a church building, then we are a part of God's family. And yet we are the church. We talked about this last week that you and I are the church. Or some of us believe by simply by being baptized, what well, we are, like that really makes us a part of God's family. Guess what? It doesn't. See, what happens is this. It's not about the form of the worship. It's about the heart posture. God is always about our heart. True worship is not about the form. Now, I'm not saying don't get baptized. Baptism, we do it as, as, as an act of obedience because we are testifying and rejoicing. In fact, here, when we baptize, you say that you are dead to sin and you are alive in Christ. What we're saying is do not get caught up in the form of worship and then miss out on the true act of worship, which is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We don't want to have people who are caught up in whether or not they had communion or get caught up in whether or not they are a people who have read their Bibles. Read your Bible because you love God. I truly believe it, that as you read the word of God like we have on our walls here, that God's people, people delight in God's word, that as a person who loves God, you have a desire to know him more, to seek him more. And so what happens is then you dive into his word more. And because you are a saved person, you want to serve people around you because you've known this God. Because it's all, again, it's all about Jesus. Don't get caught up in the form. Worship this God. And Mary has this, this, this chapter in Luke chapter 1, 46. Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, she says this. She goes, my soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. Everything inside of her worships God. Her soul and her soul. If you guys have not thought about this, you are a spirit. You have a soul and you have a body, right? You're a spirit who happens to have a soul and you live in a body, right? Some people have called our bodies meat bags or I don't know. I wouldn't go as far as that, that way, right? But we just have the, the real person of who you are is a spirit. And in our soul is our mind, our will, our emotions. And she goes, while I'm here on the earth right now, I have my mind, my will, and my emotions. And all of my mind, my intentions, my will, and my emotions are given to rejoice in God. She goes, my mind, my will, my emotions, and my spirit, my inner being are worshiping God. Worship is not about the form. It's about worshiping God in the innermost being of who you are. See, the ritual of baptism, the ritual of, of communion, the ritual of like even going to church or reading the word of God, it points to the reality, the truth, that our life has been changed by the gospel. And if you've never heard the gospel, the gospel is this, that Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, came down to earth and he lived a perfect life. 
And he died for our sins. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is violent. It separates friends. When someone says something bad about you, you feel a distance between them. When someone steals from you, you feel a distance between that person. And for us, our lives were lived as a life of sin. The Bible says in Adam, we all sinned. And so what God did is that he has to punish sin. This same Jesus died for our sins, shed his blood. He made a covenant with you like we talked about earlier with the coffee being accepted. It was not that. It was his very life. He dies on the cross and gives us freedom, freedom to live with him. Now you're free from sin. You can choose to live with him. See, once you live a life changed by the gospel, all these things that we've, we've talked about, communion, that we've talked about as far as baptism, we've talked about Bible reading, lifting your hands in worship, you don't do because someone told you. It's because you hear these words that are being sung and they ring true in your heart. They become real for you. And so what happens is this. I want to ask you to do these three things, well, actually five things. What can we do to not live a life of hypocrisy? How do we fight our own internal hypocrisy? Because that's really the struggle for us is wanting to live in unrighteousness again, living the life that we want apart from God. How do we do this? One, we train our hearts to humility. Train your heart to humility. In 1 Corinthians 9, 26, Paul says this. He goes, so I run with purpose in every step. Like, don't waste your life on things that are meaningless. Like, run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself will be disqualified. He goes, I'm intentional with every step. With everything I do. Now you guys will be like, I'm not an athlete. But many of you have been in situations where you want something from your parents. And guess what happens to you? You begin to train yourself. They're like, you have to do the dishes every single uh, Thursday for the next four months so I can get you. And you're like, dude, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make these things. They're, hey, you washed them and there was, some, there was some cheese on there. All right, all right, I'm going to go back. Teach me how to wash these dishes because I want to get that particular thing. You train yourself. What you see as a value, you actually like, will, will make time for. You will, will put an, a, a, a kind of a, a goal on and try to meet that goal. What Paul is saying is that we train ourselves in every step. Give ourselves leeway to lean on Jesus. When we fail, when we mess up, when we fall down like David, get back up again and then run to Jesus. Don't allow these things to hold you down, be it an addiction, be it your own pain, be it your own struggles. Do not let these things hold you down. God wants to free you from those things. Train yourself like an athlete. Romans 2, 28, uh, he says that we are for, you are, for you are, for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. 
He goes, as you train your heart for humility, don't do it in the act of looking for, like, for praise from people. Because you can easily get into this thing where it's like, oh, my gosh, this person serves every Sunday. We love them because they're like, dude, like serve unto the Lord. Serve in humility. He goes, a real Jew, a real Christian, a real person who lives and loves like Jesus does so, not for the praise of people, not for a paycheck. I could easily, easily be a professional pastor where I have all my sermons and all my things laid out and whatever, and I just pull and pick things out. I don't actually spend time to get to know people. Like, it's easy to lean into that. You can be a professional Christian and not actually be a believer. He goes, don't be a professional Jew. He wants you to lean into who God wants for you in your spirit, in your innermost being. And that comes with training, laying aside things that you, that you would normally want to and then lean into God. That's what the Bible calls us, to self-sacrifice. Because it's difficult. It's difficult. It's kind of like when I was uh, an intern, um, this is like in 2011 or something like that, and I remember having this conversation with my, one of my fellow interns because um, he, he would, this is what happens, he would during, during our you know, work day sometimes go into this one room for our elementary you know, kids, whatever, and he'd go and like sleep. Like, he would take straight naps. Like, so you're like, where is, where is it? I'll just use a name. Where is Jonathan? Where is Jonathan? And like, you go and like, Jonathan's taking a nap. Now, do I want to rest? Do I want to chill? I do. But I know that there's something I'm supposed to learn from this experience. And God wants us to grow from this experience of life and to achieve a goal, not just a goal of praise from people, but praise and honor from God as our supreme person. So Jonathan and I had this conversation about what it means to like, actually like, do what an intern is supposed to do and live a life that reflects Jesus. Because if people found out that Aaron was taking a nap during his work hours, or if you were taking a nap during your school hours, because to some degree, would you say that school is a job? I, um, I think it is. You guys are there for a long time. You're doing a job. There's an expectation on you that if we heard about that and your parents heard about that, they would not be pleased with you. And we live our lives to please the one who made us, the one who has power and loves us. So one, seek him in humility. Two, uh, proximity. You have to have proximity. What does this mean? The more you're close to someone, the more you get to grow in care and love for them. Proximity builds intimacy. Being able to reflect on what God has done gives us hope for future grace, which means you being close to someone in the context of a small group, you being close to someone having a one-on-one, you being close to someone like God in the word of God, reading it about him, talking to him in prayer, grows intimacy. The more you get to know and love him, if you don't spend time with people, you can't get to know who they are. So he says, draw near to him. In, in James 4, 8, he goes, draw near to God, and he himself will draw near to you. He goes, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hands, you double-minded. At the beginning of 2020, I made this sticker that had that same verse. It says again, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, what God is doing is calling both the believer, the one who says, hey, I'm all about this. He goes, you're a double-minded person. Because some people like us, like me, like David, sometimes fall into hypocrisy. He goes, if you're double-minded, 
hey, cleanse yourself. Wash your hands. Separate yourself from those things. And then he calls sinners, people who are living intentionally far from God. He goes, cleanse your hands. Wash them. Give yourself to God. Draw near to him so I can be intimate with you. We are saying about this, that God wants to be close. He wants to be intimate. But that comes from a lifestyle of turning from those things and giving ourselves to God. The third thing is this, is to seek forgiveness. Meaning practically going to one, God, and seeking forgiveness, making peace. In Matthew 5, 9, uh, he gives us this challenge. And he, really, Matthew 5, uh, or the Sermon on the Mount, is kind of like the, the practical ways to see if you're a believer. Or the book of James, literally, like, am I a Christian? He goes, blessed are the peacemakers. Like, this is the litmus test of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, it's not a peacekeeper. It's a peace maker a peacekeeper is kind of like the police you go in you're like oh my gosh stop 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 like you you're just what you're doing a peacemaker goes in in the middle of the things and makes peace kind of like the army he's saying that you have to be vigilant you have to be like paul said a person who trains their body he goes blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of god and in seeking forgiveness, sometimes that means you have to go in the middle of the war that maybe you caused, the brokenness that you caused, and seek forgiveness and ask for help from people, ask for their forgiveness. Or in some cases, like, be willing to receive that. For some of us, it's hard for us to forgive. People come to us and they're like, hey, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And you just don't want to hear it. You don't want to know about it. But he goes, you have to be a person who practically is a peacemaker. And it's bears evidence of our love and relationship with God. For repentance, be a person who lives a life of repentance. Like I talked about, we are people who live a life of repentance, turning from our sin and turning to God. In James 1.19, talks about how, how we're to be a people who are quick to listen. Like, learn to listen. Be a person who doesn't want to speak all the time. Learn to pause, to reflect, to hear be slow to speak, meaning you, you hear and you, uh, there's always that one thing you want to say to get back at someone. But this person, but that, no, like he says, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, be slow to anger, be long-wicked. And it's easy for us in this day and age to respond. Like I kid you not, if you right now go on your Twitter, you guys are like, I don't Twitter is anymore because of Elon or whatever. But like if, if you go on your Instagram, you go on something and you say something bad about like Beyonce or say something bad about Jay-Z, like this day and age, like people will tear you up. Why? Because the word the world is full of people who are ready to be angry for no reason. Some of you go like, who's Beyonce? Okay, Taylor Swift. All right. If you say something about Taylor Swift, guys are like, what? Like the hate train, or what are they called? Swifties? Swifties? Okay, there you go. I don't. Know, I have no idea what they're called. But people will come for your neck. He says, don't be people who just react, right? Be people, again, who are peacemakers, who are proactive in your love for people. And then five, consistency. Be consistent in your walk with Jesus. Like Paul said, train yourself. Make practical steps. Again, one, we have to be people who seek him in humility. And as the worship team comes up. Uh, here we wrap up with these things. Seek him humility. Be willing to ask God, God, like, where am I in this, in this walk? Am I truly living and loving like you? 
is this my pride? Am I doing this because I want people to see me? Am I like, 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 show me where I am? Like Paul, uh, sorry, uh, David prays this prayer in the Psalms. He goes, like, keep me from even unseen, hidden sin, things I don't even know about. Like he's finding every single way, God, things that I do know and things that I don't even know. Like, help me with that too. Have proximity with Jesus. Be intentional about seeking a leader out and getting to know who God is in a small group or be intentional before or after services to be in proximity with believers and get to know who God is. Three, uh, seek forgiveness. Be a person who is active, who is a peacemaker in seeking forgiveness. Four, live a life of repentance. Turn from those things. Once you've received that forgiveness, use it as power to live a godly life. See, grace is not just fire insurance. It is also power to live a godly life. And then five, be consistent. Be consistent in it. And like I I quoted the scripture before, God himself has promised to maintain that covenant with you. God himself has promised to be a life power in you and through you and with you. You don't have to do this in your own strength, but you get to serve him in the strength that he himself provides. Because if I'm being honest, I don't think I could do this Christ, this Jesus thing on my own strength. I'm too selfish. I'm a hypocrite. I know where I stand. My preference is me. My preference is not other people. And so what we ask God to do is to change our convictions so that our convictions then lead our preferences and we believe that our preference is going to be jesus our preference is going to be others save people serve people we're people who know it's all about jesus lord help our convictions determine our preferences this is what it means to live a life free of hypocrisy to live a life free of selfishness it's a life that's submitted to god and he helps us do that let's pray Lord, we thank you for today, Lord God, is just looking at the book of Romans and how Paul calls believers, calls us to hire. And Lord, we know that we can't do that on our own. It takes us to be humble. Lord, humble our hearts, Lord. Help us, Lord God. And I, I'm just grateful for the reminder of people like David who messed up and yet, Lord, you lifted them up again. People like Noah, all these people in the Bible, Lord God, who turned away from you and lord when they turned to you when they came back to god you welcomed them with open arms Lord god let that be an encouragement my brothers and sisters knowing that you lift up people or god who are humble lord i just ask for a blessing on all of us here in this room that you remind us that you indeed died for us so we can be free that you saved us so we can serve others lord i ask that you just Allow that to be a strength from brothers and sisters, Lord God. Help us live a life that's full of true worship that honors you. And all God's people say, Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We really hope it blessed you. You can connect with us on social media at CalvaryHSM805. God bless.